Let's go to an interesting place called Job. We've been on a track here building certain things over the last several weeks, if maybe longer. And those things have much to do with growing our faith and also being led by the Spirit of God and also by beginning to dwell into what we say, our confessions, the, the power that's in our mouth and in our lips. Uh, it's, it's an unmeasurable power, but it's there. Whatever we say has great power and significance. I want to dwell because we'd also moved into ministry about the fear and much that's in the Word of God about not fearing. And so I want to start in Job. I will read certain things starting here in verse chapter 1, excuse me, chapter 1 in Job. And I'll read some things here. But I'll also bring some understanding into this because it could be one of the most understood books, misunderstood books in the entire Bible. Uh, it's misunderstood because, first of all, there's an enemy that wants us to misunderstand it. And second of all, uh, it fuels kind of a religious idea of... But in verse 6, we'll start there. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? goes without saying here, because some of us, most of us have an understanding of this, throughout the Bible the word fear is there a lot of times. And I think about 300 times it's talking about the fear of God. When I'm ministering on fear and not fearing, it's not that fear. It's a different word, a different meaning. It's slightly different to the extent that it does truly, and I researched this again, that fear means irreverence. But it's more like a fear you might have of your, maybe your father, earthly father, that you want to please him. But if you don't, there might be you know, some repercussion, but, but and not a major thing that would, would just thrust you into despair or d dread or you know, terror. From The fear that we talk about that Satan wants us to have is, is one that it, somebody could do you great bodily harm. Take your life. Take everything you have. I mean, it's a, it's a different fear. It's like a, ooh. Uh, and that's the kind that I am teaching against. We want to fear God. Amen? Mm -hmm. We want to respect Him and honor Him, you know. Yeah, I, I'm concerned about uh, my relationship with Him. In that way, I revere Him. I fear Him. Uh, I want Him proud of me, right? So to speak. Okay, let's continue on there. So here's a, guy, here's a guy, Job, that fears God. He loves God. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Verse 10, Have you not made a hedge around him and around his household and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and the possessions have increased in the land. Now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. 
So the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now that looks like a team effort, doesn't it? That looks like, man, he's just telling Satan, go get this Job. That's what it sounds like here. So we'll keep on here because there's some aspects of this that we need to understand. Now in verse 13, now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. They were partying. And a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. Then the Sabians raided them and took them away. Indeed, they were killed, the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Now that's a bad news day right there. Verse 6, but it gets worse. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and, and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels, and took them away, yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Now, you think you've had a bad day? <laughs> and verse 18, while he was still speaking, another also came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness, struck the four men, and they were dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked have I come from my mother's womb. Naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Bless the name of the Lord. But verse 22, what does it say? It said, In all this Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. So he was faithful even though right now he's bewildered. You would be too. And he's trying to figure this out. And, of course, in verse 2, there was a second assault. And the Lord said to Satan in verse 2, From where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth. Then the Lord said, Have you considered my servant Job? So it kind of goes back through this same thing. And, of course, he put a curse on his skin. Now, if you think about this, and I'm getting into the foundation of this here in a minute, but here, this man has been creamed. I mean, he's looking at this like everything I've ever built, wanted for, everything I've ever loved, and he'd been worrying a lot about his, his children, you know, because they're partying and they're carrying on. He'd been worried about that. And, of course, as every assault happened, it got worse. So here this man is. He's in a pile, and so his skin begins to erupt because... It was evidence of a, a man that's destroyed, almost. So let's talk about this just a little bit, or a lot. First of all, why did God say over here in uh, verse 12 of chapter 1, So the Lord said to Satan, Behold, that all that is he has is in your power, only do not lay a hand on this person. Why did he say that? Well, if you've been following along through the weeks and months and your past knowledge, you know that there was something happened in the Garden of Eden, do you not? What happened in that garden? Adam committed what they call high treason. He sold this 
the world out. God had given him power over every living thing. He'd given him this whole thing, but he sold it out with his sin. He gave it to who? Satan. So I want to read you a little bit because if we get an understanding of this, it'll help us greatly in your future. Uh, I, I'm uh, reading a, another person's writing here for a minute because I saw it and I liked it, so I'll just read this quote here a little bit. I don't even know who wrote it. It's one of those kind of things. The uh, question is, how is Satan God of this world? Because see, why did God say, Satan, you have the power over him? Well, this is why. Because in that situation in the garden, it's absolutely the truth. Satan had acquired God of this earth from Adam. Okay, the answer to how is God, uh, how is Satan God of this world, the answer is here, the phrase God of this world or God of this age indicates that Satan is the major influence on ideals, opinions, goals, hopes, and views of the majority of people. You know, you look around, you hear the news, how could God allow that to happen? Well, this is going to be an answer to most of it. Right at this present time, Satan's the god of this world. Okay? Now, his influence, speaking of the devil, his influence also encompasses the world philosophies, education, and commerce. The thoughts, ideas, speculations, and false religions of the world are under his control and have sprung from lies and deceptions. Now, how do we know this? Well, you can uh, write this down or you can go there, but in Ephesians 2.2, in fact, just write it down. He's called the prince of the power, uh, I'm sorry, he is called the prince of the power of the air. Okay, Paul called him the prince of the power of the air. Okay, he is the ruler of this world, and, and Jesus spoke that out in John 12.31. If you'd like to look at it, it wouldn't be a bad idea. Go to John, just keep your finger here in Job, because we're not done with that at all. Go to John 12. Let's look at this with your eyes. 12.31. Make that in your notes. And it depends on which translation. Mine said, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world be cast out. So he's talking, he was named the ruler of this world. He's prophesying something in the future. But Jesus called him the ruler of this world. Amen? Is that good enough? And now it says, these titles and many more signify Satan's capabilities. To say, for example, that Satan is the prince of power of the air is to signify that in some way he rules over the world and the people in it. Now there's many more things here, but um, in 2 Timothy 2.26, in the snare of the devil, uh, 1 John 5.19 talks about the power of the evil one and are in bondage to Satan in Ephesians 2.2. Now, uh, you know, these are just backing it up because there's tons of validity to call him the God of this world. And, of course, one of the big ones that we know about is, um, uh, of course, John 8, 4, 4, 4 calls him a liar because he is a liar. He's the prince of all lies. But, you see, it's indicating that people in the world are listening to those lies, and they're making their life flow with his lies. Now, we've been delivered from the power of darkness. That's the good news. And, of course, you know, some commentaries are going to say, well, and even some denominations say, well, if you're born again, you can't have demons and all that stuff. Well, uh, I think they're a little bit wrong because even though you're born again, you still have a mind that's open to lies and deceptions. So I want to make that clear. I'm not trying to glorify the evil one at all, but I want, I want you to understand some things about Job. 
our God, the Heavenly Father, was stating a truth. You have power over that. But we'll read a little more here. How much power did he have over Job? Well, uh, you know, God's saying, well, you know, he can't touch his person. And, of course, there, there's more that goes on. And also in verse 10 of chapter 2, if you're still there, it also, down, down at the bottom, it says, In all this Job did not sin with his lips. He never cursed God. He never sinned with his lips. He stayed faithful to the Lord no matter what happened. He did, he did respect God. He didn't understand it for a while. And, you know, his buddy stepped in. Then there's Job's first speech, and he goes and he rambles a lot here in chapter 3. It's his first speech out of this. I won't read that whole thing. starts out, you know, this man's depressed. Wouldn't you be? You'd be a little upset. No, you'd, you'd, you'd just be hanging on right now because you love God and you trusted him. But here, you know, this man is, is in a lot of pain right here. And so he spoke and said, May the day perish in which I was born. You know, this is, he just self-pity, but, then, you know, it's a, I can understand it. And the night in which it was said, A male child's conceived. May that day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor the light. So he's, he's going on and on and on. And then up here in verse 11, Why did I not perish when I came from the womb? Why did the knees receive me? Uh, that I should nurse, and now I have lain still and been quiet, I would have sleep and gone, and so forth. Verse 25, he finally woke up to what had happened. And that's how you have to look at this. What had happened, finally through all his, his sorrow and grieving, he said, it's like a light bulb came on. It's like honesty came forth. You know how it is when you go through some things. The first thing you'd want to blame somebody else, you know. And, and his buddies came in here and tried to tell him that all this happened because his secret life was evil. You can read all this, and I won't bother you with all that too much. Uh, his buddies kept trying to tell him that. But here he says, for this thing I greatly feared has come upon me. So now we know what gave Satan the license to go after everything he had. Because he feared losing all that. He feared losing his children. He feared his livestock. I mean, it's like the first assault happened, and after that, the fear just grew. I mean, you know, it's like if you had a tragedy happen in your life today, you'd be tend to think, well, what is going to happen next? Have you ever heard that from people? Yeah. All things happen in what? Threes or tens or some kind of a curse? So who would be perpetuating that? The thief that's come only to steal, kill, and destroy, right? Yes. Right? So he was working on Job. Look, I got your I got that. What what's the first thing he lost there? Was his was his donkeys, his oxen? Now what am I gonna lose? You can you can imagine this, can you? But then he said, This thing I greatly feared has come upon me. Fear gave the devil, a license to take everything he feared losing. How are you going to prove, put that in your own life today? How do we take the reality of this truth where hundreds of times throughout the Bible, or do, I, I mean, I, I don't know how many times, where he makes statements, God says things like, refuse to, uh, don't, don't fear. I mean, uh, let, me, let me get caught up with my tongue here <laughs> in a minute. How many times does he say, Warn us about fear. 
the kind that's destructive many times. You could do a word study on it. And you begin to realize it's not, a, it's not an innocent thing. If you're allowing fear at any level to operate in your life, you're going to block that. You might as well, until you, you recover what you're thinking or saying about it, you, you put a curse on that part of your life. And we can't be cursed. We're supposed to be, uh, you're supposed to be beyond the curse, redeemed from the curse. But see, we can still say things out of our mouth that are going to literally hold you back in that area. When it comes to confessions, they follow very much along with that. There was an in incident this morning with someone, and, and they got in a little the child thing, and they were called each other a certain name. Well, they got reprimanded because it was a name that if it stuck with them would limit their life down the road. So whether it's you or raising children or grandchildren, not only do you have to monitor what you say, because out of your mouth, what? Comes blessing and cursing. Is that correct? And you can find that over here. In, well, you've got Matthew 12, 37. The Amplified says, By your words you will be justified and acquitted by the guilty of sin, and by your words you will be condemned and sentenced. So in growing a family, what should you be doing? First of all, if you're walking as a human, you should be monitoring what, what are you saying over your own life today? What is it you're prophesying? Are you prophesying some dreams and visions that's in your heart about your future, where you want to go, what you want to do, what, what, what you want the Lord to bless? Or are you prophesying limitations? Now, I, I can't help but think about growing up in, in an agricultural environment. And, of course, it's, that's just the one I'm acquainted with because it's going to happen everywhere. And you're out there, and you're, you're with the good old boys, and and whatever, and, and they're trying to be maybe sometimes a little bit religious, and they're trying to be humble, and they say, well, you know, I'm not much. You know, and I don't suppose we'll have a very good crop this year. In fact, I think we're probably going to have a drought. And then, you know, I've seen this so many times. But it sure, sure, sure is dry out there. Yeah, it sure is. And then it'll rain about three inches. It'll just drench the soil. Yeah, it sure did rain, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, it did. But, you know, it can get dry really fast. You know, that wind comes up. It'll just suck that moisture right out of that soil. I don't know if we'll get any crop or not. Somebody prayed that rain in, and here's these guys cursing it. Is this ringing a bell? But, see, that applies to agriculture, but it applies every facet of a life, anywhere that that we have a mind that will open up to these, these thoughts. Because it's these thoughts that some say he doesn't have any power, but I want to tell you something. He's got a power to drop thoughts into people's minds and lives and totally derail them. And you can pronounce things. Okay, I thought about a couple things in my own life today. This isn't a down on anybody. When I was about in the fourth grade, I don't mind telling you, I have a lot of music in my, myself. I, I have a fairly good voice. It's a bass voice. Now, this isn't bragging, but I'm just telling you something. I, it was good enough that I went to one college and tried out a cappella for the choir and made it. It was, uh, it was an exclusive group. But in the fourth grade, this teacher, we were singing, and she said, Gary, you've got a very weak voice. Oh. Now, I want to tell you something. 
You think that's, why would I still remember that to this day? Because from that day on, I had a weak voice. Today, you've been listening to me teach a lot, and you know I don't have a weak voice. But that held me back in that realm. You know, there was fear that I wasn't going to be able to do these certain things, right? I go to a play day one day. You know, that's what they called them out there in the country, rural, and you go to big play day, all the rural schools you get there, and they have the races. I won every ribbon there that day. I get home, and my somebody really close to me said, let me watch you run. So I took off. I must have been fourth grade, about like, you know. Is that all the faster you can run? Now, those are just personal things. Sandy had older brothers, or sisters and cousins that called her stupid. Now, if you want to meet a bright person in your life, but for a long time, they called her stupid. Why? Because she was smarter than them, and they couldn't keep up with her. But see, they nailed that on her, and for a long time, she thought she was stupid. But she had enough fight in her not to believe it. Okay, those are just personal testimonies. But if you think back in your own lives, did anyone or, or yourself ever limit you in any way? I'll tell you, that's why I've gone overboard with my children. There's one here to testify and a few others that would gather. I never, ever knocked my children down. I always built them up. You know, you hear these dads that say, well, you know, don't brag them up too much. They'll get a big head. Well, I heard that a lot in my, my household. Don't brag them up too much. They'll get a big head. Meanwhile, the dads are bragging up a storm, you know. Look how great I am, but don't let that kid get too, you know. Uh, am I hitting home with anything here? Yes. See, I've always told my kids how great they're going to be. They can have the world. I mean, they are accomplished. They are, and they are. Uh, my children are. I'll brag about that. They've never, they've never had me denounce them or Sandy. Am I bragging about it? No. I want to create something in your own minds as you, as you deal with people and you, you see things go on and realize, hey, Kids grow up with a lot of potential, and their potential is, could be in your mouth. <laughs> you know, I'm talking about families now. I understand that. But at the same time, we all live in that realm because it's either somebody we want to influence or maybe it's myself I want to hear. I want to hear good things. I want to hear good things about me coming in here, not braggadocious, not prideful, but I want to build myself up, right? What was it that uh, the psalmist David said he didn't have anybody to encourage him so he said i encouraged myself <laughs> amen yeah. and you know we uh probably enough said about job right now but th did that give you some understanding about job and you're not going to hear that every day you're going to hear more like well, look what god did to him and look out he might do it to you but job was honest he said no i opened the door to that i gave him a license to take that from me and then I prove to you that there is a God of this world. And however you want to visualize that, it's got to do with the, with the heavens is the way they're stacked. You know, I'm telling you, there, there is a heaven that Satan rides in. But then there's the heavens above that where our Heavenly Father is. So Satan still is in heaven, but he's not in the same one where the throne of God is. That's just a little clarification on that because sometimes people don't understand if they read this and he hasn't been cast out of heaven yet so then they have an argument is he up there or isn't he well as far as i know for what i can tell and drawn from a lot of you know all i can yeah he's up there in his position but uh it's somewhere above your around your nose <laughs> is the spirit realm 
uh, that spirit realm. Okay, enough said about that. Where do we go from here? Well, last week we we really dwelt on fear a lot more just to acquaint ourselves with some things, and we were in the 23rd Psalm. Go over that just a little bit more. And in the 23rd Psalm, go there. Interesting thing enough, I didn't really know for some time the setting of the 23rd Psalm, but I finally found out what I believe to be the setting of it. It's when David was fearing that Saul was going to take his life. If you're familiar with Saul and, and David, 23rd Psalm was written or whatever by David during that time when he was hiding in caves and fearing for his life. And you might say he was under duress. <laughs> but even though he was under duress, he just kept that faithful thing like Job. He just kept looking to the Lord. That's why he said, the Lord is my shepherd. Because why? David was sheep herder more or less, wasn't he? That was his background. But he visualized, and he knew how he loved his sheep. He knew that he was to feed them, guide them around, protect them, shield them. So he recognized God as his shepherd, somebody that was going to take care of him. And, you know, when somebody's hunting you night and day, and they're mean, and they want to kill you, and you're hiding in a cave, and you don't know, you know, woe is me. Nobody loves me anymore, and everybody wants to kill me. That's a kind of a rough thought. But he's saying, no, the Lord is my shepherd to feed, guide, and shield me, and I shall not be in lack. He knew he would have his provision, didn't he? Uh, so, again, he was faithful to that, encouraged by that, and he said, no, I'm not going to, you know, he's going to cause me to lie down in fresh green pastures where there's plenty. He leads me beside still waters, calmness, you know, calm down the, the deal like, you know, like when there's just a big uproar going on like with Job. I mean, man, you know that his whole world was like, wow, just like chipped over. And David says, no, he'll lead me beside still and quiet waters. And, of course, we know when he said, restores my soul, he knows like right now we feed on the Word of God and we renew our minds to the truth. You know, what the Bible says, uh, you know, people say the truth will set you free. That's only half true. Because the Bible says it's knowing the truth. The knowledge of the truth is what sets you free. And some translations say set you free. Some say make you free. I like make you free because it's a gradual. Renewing the mind is an instant we don't learn everything in a day, do we? We don't change our thought process in a minute. So I like the make because that indicates over a period of time. And the knowledge of the truth will make you free, right? See, I'm free from that comment of Job. First time I heard that many years ago, I said, that, that means if I can stop fearing anything, Satan can't do anything to me. The world can't harm me. Uh, you know, John, uh, Jesus said over there in 1633, he said, Behold, I have overcome the world. John 1633. I believe that's the right one. And, and in the Amplified, it says, And denied its right to harm me. Mm -hmm. Jesus said, Behold, I have overcome the world, which would be the God of this world, the prince of power of the air. He's overcome all that and denied its right to harm you. How many like that scripture? 
If I, if, if I had a favorite scripture, that's one of the top 20. Because <laughs> it means so much to me. You know, when the going gets tough and you hear all these things, and, and I just want to say, Jesus said, it is written. He said, I have overcome all that. I've overcome the world, and it can't hurt me. He's already paid that price. Would that stop any fear trying to get into your life anytime? It should. It's power. It's power of the word. It's the knowledge of the truth that makes us free. And then in verse 4, we're still in, in uh, 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of the death. What does he say? I will fear no evil. Hey, if these things happen in life. Things come along. You tighten up down inside here. When that happens, that's an indication that you've opened your life up for a minute to fear. Got it? Like I would say if I had 10,000 people out there, I'd say don't act religious on me right now because <laughs> we can all tighten up right here. And it can be over the smallest things. You know, In the world, they say, uh, you know, in motivational speaking, they say, uh, you know, 90% of what you worry about, 10%, well, they say, I don't know if I agree with that, but they say 10% is un- inevitable and the, re- the other 90% isn't going to happen anyway. Well, to me, there's some truth to that. It is true. Fear is empty if you don't allow it. So the idea is, David says, I, I will fear no evil. You got 5,000 people with swords looking for you and bows and arrows and machetes and <laughs> said I'm not going to fear any evil mm-hmm. I'm not going to fear any evil how many can say that I can I'm not. Uh, another one that is just say I, re- I refuse fear I refuse it how much power com- is available to you when you say I refuse to fear every bit of power is behind that you can say in Jesus name I refuse to fear or you can say I refuse to fear why because I have authority. I have delegated authority through that name. Do I not? Whether I use that name or not doesn't really diminish the fact that as a human, blood-bought child of God, when I speak something, it has authority. How much authority? All authority over demons and diseases. Amen? So, you know, along this path here, um, it's a little shorter than I was going today, but I, I'm on this, I think it's a, I'm on a roll here with this for a minute. For David is saying, for you are with me. The you is capitalized. He's speaking to the Lord because you are with me. You, Lord, are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod's the word of God, again, reiterating the Staff is the spirit of the living God. What's the two things that I concentrate on through the weeks and months? Encouraging you to know you're led by the spirit of God and that you can have faith coming from the word of God. Two things. It's the word and the spirit. They comfort and they bring power into your life if you use them. So anyway, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over and everything here. And, you know, just a little side note since I kind of ended up on on the 23rd Psalm today, but I've always liked this. Uh, He says he's preparing a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Now, what's he really saying? 
he's saying, look, Saul's, Saul's an enemy, although he never cursed Saul because it was just something about it. But he knew God was going to bless him within view of his enemies. Isn't that amazing? We're going to see that in the end times, too. I could go into more scripture to back that up. But we will, 91st Psalm declares it. We will be in a grandstand front row seat as seeing the destruction of the wicked. Do we want to see it? I'm not thinking that way. But at the same time, there's certain times in your life when, when there's been people coming against you and you stay faithful to God and God begins to raise you up, he'll make it very plain to your enemies that his hand is on your life. Now, I realize, you know, none of you have any enemies or anything like that, but I guess, again, if you don't think there's somebody out there that could be jealous or, or want you put down or whatever, and because you anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. What's the anointing? Power of the Holy Spirit on your life. That's the anointing. And I love that thing. I don't know where I got it. Maybe it's amplified. But that oil caused your face to shine. So here's, here's your enemy out there. God's lifted you up. Displayed you. That's what happens. There's a, a scripture, and, and really I'm closing right now, but over in, uh, I believe it's 1 Peter Okay, it's in 1 Peter. It goes along with everything that I just said. You know, when you've been beat up and you've got people bad-mouthing you or whatever, whatever the situation may be, and, and somebody in the sound of my voice knows exactly what I'm talking about, maybe not everybody, but, you know, there's a ten tendency sometimes to forget that it's God that will, you know, build you up and anoint you in the presence of your enemies. You know, sometimes it's hard to remember that yeah, you know, that we want to, your pride would say, well, let me, let me explain myself how great I, you know, I'm not that bad, you know, <laughs> I'm not as bad as that person said, but there is a scripture over here in 1 Peter 5, and I'll just read it, and then we'll close with that. In verse 5, likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another, and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, it gives grace to the humble. And verse 6 is one I want you to get. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you in due time. There was a time in my life I feel that I was, I was really under an attack. I felt. And there was a, an older lady that was a great friend, and she was my cheerleader. And I was just real miserable. She called me up and gave me that scripture. Humble yourself before the mighty hand of God and he'll exalt you in due time. Mm -hmm. And that's so much better than being prideful and trying to explain ourselves and say, you know, you've got the wrong idea about me, you know. And, and I look back at Job. What did Job do? He got honest, didn't he? In the spite of all that loss, Job says, no, I, I just realized it was what I feared that opened the door to all that assault and all that loss. Isn't that interesting? Gives us more confidence every day, doesn't it? That we're on a right track and there is truth in this word and we just need to find it. Amen? Yes. Praise the Lord. Well, Lord, thank you for the word of God.
I thank you that as it comes into our life, Father, it, it just nests right there in our hearts and our minds. And Father, we just continue to grow in your stature and an understanding of what all you really have done for your children. So thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name.